people mistake what I'm saying to be like, I want everyone to be non-binary. I want every, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, can you coexist with someone like me in your universe? I don't think so. The current universe means that in order for people to say I'm a man or a woman, they have to mean I'm a man means I'm not a woman and I'm a woman means I'm not a man. And as long as you believe in those oppositionalities, I can exist because in my body and in my heart, man and woman are synonymous. And in my body and in my heart, masculinity and femininity are hanging out together. And so in order for you to have that paradigm, I can't be here. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. What's up, babies? Hey, y'all. Gotta get, gotta get new chairs. Oh my God, nothing. It's so funny. So Lindsay has a little poof that I sit on for interviews. Nothing stresses Lindsay out more than me moving around on the poof. <laughs> me moving around in my chair. No, well, I move around the chair and I move around on the poof because I just can't sit. I know. It's okay. I, I don't like it. I don't like sitting on my ass. There's something about it. We, we'll just prep our guests. Hey, if this one moves around. Yeah. This one, if she turns into a monkey on a jungle gym. <laughs> Literally. I mean, if you see a little bit of vag when I'm moving around in a skirt, <laughs> enjoy it. I know. I'm just Actually, trying to think, think that of... someone did see our vag and I think they commented about it, but I forget. When? It was someone... <laughs> Oh. And he said, like, oh, that was a surprise or something like that. And I think he did in person. Sure. Yeah, I swear. Oh. Oh, well. Okay. That's what you get. You're welcome. It's part of the deal. <laughs> I always think about that with, like, when we're uh, moderating panels and stuff, like, yeah. sitting and, like, just, yeah. I'm aware of, we're aware of everything. So, yeah. arm position, leg position, posture, because yeah. I'm literally trying Armpit to be out, outside of my body mm-hmm. and like, what does this look like right now? Because I can just get real comfortable and like slouchy. And, I've learned that recently. Yeah. Like having that one event at Soho House with Milana, I was like, oh, I never can wear that or sit like that again. Dude, I was thinking about, remember like Britney Spears and shit when it would be like paparazzi would actually like try and get shots up their dresses and skirts. Oh my God, that's so fucked up. I think we talked about that. Like We talked about the sexualization, how we are obsessed with them being virgins, but we didn't talk about the shots that they would get (sighs) up their skirt. Like Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears. Getting in the cars. Paris Hilton. Getting in the cars. They would get in the cars and they'd be in skirts and then they'd like, they're like, oh, so-and-so doesn't wear underwear. Yo, that is so- That's disgusting. Crazy. Disgusting. How is the, dude? I don't think it's also was, someone's dad probably taking yo, the picture. I don't even think someone's that shit brother. would fly nowadays. I hope not. I, I I don't think it would. I'm gonna say it. I don't think it would. I think people are a little bit more woke than that to know that like some old creepy dude with a fucking camera shouldn't be yeah. following around a 17 year old girl trying to get shots up her skirt. But there's still 
you know, media outlets like fucking um, TMZ, who... Uh, <laughs> confession, I was watching the Kardashians the other night. And... It's the best and, turn off. It's, it's, dude, it, there's, I, I've been researching a lot of the Illuminati with the Kardashians. Yeah. There's something energetically that makes you fucking watch. It's crazy. I know. It was what fucked is up. It? It's not that fucked up. It's normal. It's just crazy. Yeah. I don't, I was actually thinking about it. I was like, oh, something's going on here. Not that I was drawn to it, but I was like, oh, just like observing the family. I'm like, yeah. well, there's so many dynamics that are like working in perfect symphony to create this like chaos, but also create this like business. But anyway, um, chaos with a K. Yeah. <laughs> K, uh, Kim got a call from TMZ saying, we know that Chloe's pregnant. We're going to release, you know, that information. Like if you guys don't confirm it or or whatever. And I'm like, how the fuck? How is that legal? How is that legal? That's wow. the thing. Mm-hmm. Is that fucked up? What'd so, she like, say? I mean, she's like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to share that right now. Cause I'm only two and a half months pregnant. She wasn't even past like the first trimester whatsoever. Normally you wait because you just don't know like whether the pregnancy is going to be successful. And that's why women don't share. So fuck you, TMZ. That's savage as fuck. Actually, Justin um, was at uh, Nobu on Sunday. Guess who he he sat back to back with? Yay. Oh, no, close. Haley Baldwin and Justin Bieber. His back like touched Haley's. When he sat down, she turned around and she goes, Gave like a what's up smile, like like hi like, or hot. No, not like hot, like <laughs> like hi. I'm acknowledging you. Like please back up. Yeah, please don't like say shit. And Justin had a mustache. He was wearing a, a Hawaiian t-shirt, mm-hmm. and they were like chilling. Justin's like, oh, this is like a wasted sighting on me. I know. Isn't that funny? He said that. He's like, oh, this is like wasted. I'm like, I'm glad it was you, dude. It would have stressed me out. Not that I care. I, love and light to all of them. Not that I don't care about their lives, but I just would have been stressed out kind of like looking at other people around them. Yeah, I know. I would Because I don't want anyone to bother them. Yeah. It's and, weird. And I would have, it's hard to not wonder what they're talking mm-hmm. about or like what they order, you know. Yeah. Apparently they're very in love. Looks sweet. Anyway. Anyways. Love and light. Okay. We're going to keep little uh, announcements mm. really fast. Still fucking on tour. <laughs> hey guys, uh, if you're wondering. Hey guys. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> we're still on tour. <laughs> It's a nonstop tour. So we have Portland is happening September 20th and then we'll be at Spark. And then the next week, Dallas, which is sold out. And then Austin on the 27th, we still have some tickets in Austin. And then we have San Diego in October. And then we have LA again in October. It's a hormones event. So go to almost30podcast.com slash tour, check out our dates. And then we also have a podcast pro guide. So if you want to start a podcast, we have a quick guide. It's actually not quick. It's like 20 pages um, on how to launch, start, and market your podcast to be successful. Things that Lindsay and I have learned along the way. So you can also get that at almost30podcast.com. Today on the podcast, y'all. This one gave me mad energy and hope uh, for the world. Alok Menon. Alok is a gender non-conforming performance artist, writer, and educator. Uh, their eclectic style and poetic challenge to the gender binary have been uh, internationally renowned. They are known all over the world. Yeah, it was such an inspiring, insightful conversation that had me thinking about so many things about gender. The fact that you know you're born into 
being a boy or a girl by our society and you could choose, you don't have the choice, you know, to be like that. And then a lot of what's going on within the trans community. So it just opened my eyes to the fact that within other communities, there could be politics, although you're an open and loving community. There's also things that go on within those subgroups um, that could be hard or challenging. And the way they expressed um, emotions and how important it is to be able to communicate how you're feeling to other people, to communities and groups, so that you can clearly get your message um, through whatever your message may be. Alok is so comfortable in their skin and it's palpable. I don't know how how we else had so to, much fun. We had so much fun. I just love talking Gave me hope. to them. Enjoy this episode with Alok and I would find them on Instagram, A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N, an inspiring feed if I've ever seen one. Enjoy this one, guys. Love you. Whenever I relax, I I, I don't want to be watching TV. I don't want to be... I don't, I don't want to be looking at Instagram. Like sometimes I'm like, let's relax. And then I just scroll Instagram. I'm like, okay, this isn't relaxing. It's not <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't give me like a venom, you know, I'm not like, oh, Instagram. Cause I, I have a fine relationship with it, but I just don't really know how to like, just kick it. Right. Totally. Yeah. I don't either. You're, what do you, you're my right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like what, what do you do? Like, do you just work, start working? I don't know. I mean, and then my response is like, well, my work isn't like real work. It's like my passion. Like it's like my relaxation, but I'm really trying to challenge that too and be like, it's kind of fucked up that I don't just have like pleasure hobbies. Mm. So I'm starting to like, try to like get into like other things. So I have been like watching TV, which I never did before. But now I'm like, this is how the rest of the world lives. Like I think about that all the time. (laughs) Yes. About TV. I'm like, I'm like, you could be a little normal and watch more TV. You know, right. like you're going to relate to more people. She you probably watch TV. And all of a sudden I see her just like staring at the screen. Like she's like a five-year-old. I do. Cause never whenever seen. there's a screen on, I'm like, <sighs> it's, it's so bad, but I'm, we're the same. And I, I, about the passion as my business, it's like, I'm passionate about it. This is my calling. I love doing it. But I do think I'm like, I can't be so one dimensional where I'm only working and I'm only doing this one thing because that doesn't help anyone. Mm, you know, you right. kind of need to be like exploring other things and doing more than just your passion or your business. Right. That's true. Well, we are so excited to have you on um, and have a conversation with you. We just start rolling, by the way. Um, but, you know, for our, um, we have a really vibrant, thriving community that um, is, you know, just really excited. They express to us that they're big fans of yours. And um, so for those in our community that don't know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure thing. Hey everyone, my name is Alok, as in tell me a joke, Alok, or a locomotive engine, choo choo. <laughs> I'm a gender nonconforming writer and performance artist based out of New York City with a lot of feelings and a lot of patterned clothing. Mm. Oh, I want to have a 
yeah, need your closet. I need to have, yeah, I need to have a nice intro like that. That is like <laughs> yeah, fucking beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, where did you grow up? Like what was, so for someone that's has a lot of feelings, you know, I'm a Pisces sun, Scorpio moon. I can, I can relate. I knew we were going to get there in a matter of time. <laughs> oh, honey, honey. It's like number one. So wait, what, what are you? I'm a cancer Leo Leo. So not only do I have deep and broody feels, I know how to express them. Oh, <laughs> You're, I just know how to cry them out. That's like yeah, my thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, I grew up in a small town in Texas called College Station, Texas. Mm. When you fly into our two-plane airport, it says, welcome to College Station. This is country. And I spent the first 18 years of my life there. Wow. And let's just say I was emotionally repressed. But, you know, I really feel like it was like training to take on the entire world. Because once you grapple with that that level of like, racism, homophobia, emotional repression altogether, like everything else. I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm, yeah. I know. I have to like take that in for a second. The fact that like your soul was kind of yeah. dropped into a place that is, you know, not yeah. very open and accepting. What was that like? Like from a very young age, what was like your... I guess I I do want to know too, like kind of how you were raised and were you raised to kind of like you know, uh, feel those emotions and be expressive about it within the family confines? Like, what was that like? Wow. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because I think the conventional narrative that I tell is that my family is part of the reason I'm still alive today. And which is not often the case for, I think, a lot of like queer immigrant families um, or, or queer immigrants in terms of our relationship with our families. But I think for me at home, I always had a space to be who I was, even though I didn't have that outside. And my family was always extremely progressive and really like conscious about what was happening in the world. So they always encouraged me to be my truest self. But I think that now that I'm looking back at it, emotions weren't really a part of that. (laughs) So we were encouraged to be creative, but it was only through the purview of like art or like school, but Mm. not like interpersonally. So rather than saying, I feel this, it would be much more like, show me your art piece where you're talking about these feelings in an abstract way. I see. Yeah. (laughs) There was was room for expression, but only when it was confined in an appropriate place for emotions. And I think that as a performance artist, I think about this a lot. You know, one of the things they say in my shows is, in the West, you're taught that performance is when you pretend to be something that you're not. But what I've learned in my life is that performance is where we go to actually be honest. That's why we find the most relatable characters are like TV characters or movie screen characters. They're pretending, but it's real. And I feel like at my shows, um, I create a space for an hour and a half or two hours where people can be honest and cry and feel and mourn and love. And it's so ecstatic. But then also I'm like, why did it take a stage for us to have this kind of vulnerability? You know, why do we have to always say, go to the art gallery or go to the stage or go to the runway? And that's where beauty and creativity and emotionality live. And I think what I've really been trying to embody in my life now is performance art is not just about the stage. It's about how I live. Because I think for me growing up in a small town in Texas, everyone was so emotionally repressed. I never want that energy around me again. So everywhere I am, I try to smile. I try to cry. I try to give extreme acts of emotion just to let people know, like, I'm here and I'm ready to feel. Oh, 
That is so beautiful. And can we, so Mm. in Texas, could we have some examples for our listeners um, who may not be able to fully grapple what, you know, emotional oppression may, may be, or, you know, what it was like in Texas, like as an example, things that you thought of that were like, oh, that was emotional oppression, or that was racist, or that was um, homophobic or things like that. Right. So we often in, in the South or people from the South uh, speak a lot about like Southern politeness, which is this, like, it's all about maintaining face and um, saying like, bless your heart, you know, even though what you really mean to say is like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you like rewind it and you put it in this sort of like deeply kind of like covert, but still explicit at the same mm. time kind of shit. So I think what that looked like for me is like, we were never allowed to be different at all. So there was like a very uniform idea of like, this is what it means to be a good person. You go to church every single Sunday, not only which church, but it's like, there's a whole drama on what kind of church you go to. You're in a Bible study group. You don't date at all. You're not allowed to have sex whatsoever. You have to be um, smart, but also athletic. Like just all these sorts of norms that we were in. And there was no space for you to be erratic, strange, unique, emotional, breaking down, loving, heartbroken, joyous. Like it was all, I think so much of what the violence of the norm is, not just around emotions, but for everything, is that if you are at all on either side of it, you have to be disappeared in order for people to believe that the norm is real. And so, like, I think that growing up in Texas, every time I displayed myself, be that my gender, be that my politics, be that my art that my emotions, people would always try to police me back into the norm. And what I try to get people to realize is the norm is just as constructed as everything else. Like it's not natural. Um, it's not natural to, to repress young people's feelings. I think that that's something I talk a lot about in terms of mental health. Like for me, I didn't have a space at all at school or at home to say, I'm experiencing harassment and it hurts. Mm. I didn't have anywhere to go and say, like, Mm. I'm getting bullied all the time. And so the only place that I could take that emotion was into my art making because that was the only space I had to really feel. Wow. Um, You mentioned that, like, you know, you don't want to surround yourself with people like that anymore, but obviously just being a human and navigating the planet, you're going to come in contact with people who are not as expressive and emotive and just open and feeling everything and open. Um, but do you find compassion for those people? And in what way do you do that? Like what has been like your journey there? Cause I can imagine it's kind of evolved if you, as you've gotten more mature. These are such timely questions. Wow. Um, oh, part thanks. of growing up for me has been really learning to say, compassion doesn't mean I have to be your best friend. Mm. I used to be the kind of person that was like, I believe that everyone could be interesting. It's just like, we need to spend more time with them. And I have all <laughs> these people in my life who are works in progress, you know, and people who I felt like in five years or three years or even two months would really come into themselves and give me the type of intimacy that I wanted. But then I really did a real assessment of, of the relationships in my life. And I was like, I'm giving and giving and I'm not getting. And I started to realize 2018 for me was the year of reciprocity. It is totally okay to demand emotional reciprocity in your relationships. That's not too high of a standard. And I feel like it was so gendered for me to feel insecure about turning away people when they weren't giving for me. I felt like that meant I was selfish or like I would have no one else. But now I've really started to realize when you take out bad energy from your life, there's so much more room for 
abundant energy. And so what I really did with myself is I said, you know what? There are always going to be people in the world who I have compassion for, but we're just not vibing. And right now, the people who I vibe with are the people who, when I ask, how are you? are saying, okay, I'm working through these things in my life. I just encountered this thing about myself that I'm trying to get better about. Like people who are really self-aware, interested in dialoguing about their interiority, and also like deeply vulnerable from the beginning. Like I don't want to have to be always begging people in my life to get where I'm already at. Like mm-hmm. and I understand yes. that like, you know, people have various histories that make it so that it's easier for some people to share than other people. And that's totally right. But I think what I would really ask us is like, why do we feel like it's our work to get people to that place rather than other people's work to prioritize that for themselves? And I've really been on this new tip where I'm like, if I did not create the mess, I can't really clean it. And I need other people to really prioritize their emotional well-being in order for me to have a reciprocal relationship. And before were you, did you feel like you were kind of like, okay, I'm going to help them see, I'm going to educate them. I'm going to do all of the things to help move them along. Absolutely. I mean, I think that came from growing up in a small town in Texas. Yeah. As you can imagine, there was no one really like me. So the way that I made friends was basically helping everyone else process all their feelings for each other. So I would go to all the boys and I'd be like, so-and-so has a crush on you, like blah, 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 blah. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should say, whatever. And then I'd go to the girls and like, so-and-so has a crush. And I was just mediating everyone else's romantic relationships, friendships, all over the place. And so then everyone loved me because of what I could do for them. And I start, it took me a long time in my life to be able to differentiate the people who love me for me versus the people who love me in terms of how I can help them. And that's, wow. that's a really dangerous dynamic I think a lot of women and trans people find ourselves into, where it's like, do you care about me beyond my ability to work for you? Absolutely not. And I was like, you know what? Part of me loving myself as a queer person, as a trans person, is saying I demand the same kind of emotional labor that I give to other people for myself. And that's not too high of an ask. And so I think that I've learned from a really young age how to look big, but act small. Um, so like to like be like super beautiful, flamboyant, aesthetically there, but then have no emotions, no feelings, no needs, no wants, just here to inspire and uplift other people. And now 2018 year for the years for me has been about looking big and being big emotionally. Like literally just when people ask me, how are you? I'm like, well, you know, falling apart. What's up? Like I think I was so afraid to be considered too much because I knew that mm. I knew that friendship was contingent on me being small, but now I'm all about, this is the year of being too much. We don't have that much time left. I'm just sort of like, I'm going to be too much. And if people are not into that frequency, that's fine. I don't need those people to like me. Yeah. Wow. Amen. Into Um, that. Yeah. Like you being a um, person that people look to for inspiration, for strength and courage, like what does that feel like? And is that even something you want to be like, of course you want to be an inspiration, but do you know what I'm saying? Where like you are so human that people are focusing on, well, you've got it all figured out. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're really standing in your light and you're trying to say like, I want to be more human. Like Mm -hmm. there's like two things happening there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is the moment in feminism that we're in that I really struggle with, which is that we have to be empowered and we have to be strong 
Mm. and that people are looking for strong examples to aspire toward. But what we do when we do that is we don't allow people to be human and to be complex. And for me, what I, what I say everywhere I go is like, I'm struggling through the very things that I'm talking about. I'm not outside of the issues that I'm talking about. And you can't just focus on my triumphs. You also need to focus on my tragedies. And mm. you have to see the full picture of me. Otherwise, you're dehumanizing me and you're making me into an illusion and a metaphor and not a person. And that hurts. And I think for a long time, I didn't know how to wow. speak back against that because I was like, oh, I'm so grateful to be given these opportunities. I'm so grateful to be visible. I'm so grateful to have a platform. But then I started to really think about it. And I was like, oh, wait, people don't understand that the minute that I get off the stage, I'm getting harassed. Or the minute that I get deliver this inspirational keynote for you, that I have to go home and on the way home, I'm going to get harassed. Like People don't understand that visibility does not mean safety for women and trans people. And that's something I really have been pushing at when I'm like, okay, what actual safety and worth looks like is so much bigger than visibility. It looks like decision-making power. It looks oh, like yes. um, money. <laughs> it looks like yes. resources. It looks like networks. It's so much bigger. Mm. And I think so much of the way patriarchy works is that men will give us visibility, but they won't give us infrastructure. And I think that what I started to really think through in my yep. life is I was like, you know what? I'm going to be honest about these dynamics because I've seen so many other mentors that I look up to not be honest and then have mental health breakdowns late into their career where they're like, oh, wait, no one really knows what I'm going through. Or no, mm. I, I mean, I think about like every time that there's a new case with a celebrity who commits suicide or, or a popularized drug addiction, people are like, oh, this is so sad. But I'm like, look at how you've been taught to treat people. You reduce people into ideas and not people. You make them only matter in so much as they're inspiring you and not when they're struggling. I don't want that. Mm. And so I'm very upfront on my social media and at my shows. I'm struggling too. And I'm a complex person too. And there are good days and there are bad days and there are joyous days and there are hard days. And if you really love me, then you have to love all of me, not just the parts that inspire you. Mm. What are you struggling with right now? I mean, so many things. Wow. Um, I think one of the things that I'm really struggling with, which is very painful, is lack of acceptance from my own community, which is something I haven't really spoken about that much. Wow. Because I think that when you're an oppressed group, you try to underplay the internal dynamics to have a strong unified front. So we often say wow. like, you know, oh, trans rights matter. Like, this is amazing. But we never actually unpack the hierarchies within the trans community. And I think what's really important to understand is like, I'm one of the few public-facing trans people with the platform that I have access to who has chosen not to be on hormones. And that was a personal decision for me because I felt like who I was was consistent with what I wanted. And I didn't feel like I should have to take hormones in order to have people believe who I already was. But then what I often experience within my own community is trans people saying, you're not really trans or you would be really trans if you pursued medical transition. And I understand where that comes from. It comes from their own feelings of invalidation from people telling them that they're not real. But I think part of what I've also been coming into myself is like, I am not a repository for other people's shame. I'm not a placeholder for other people's anxiety. I can empathize, but that does not mean I have to hold. And there's a difference between empathizing and holding. I can sit and bear witness and say, I'm so sorry that these things are happening to you, but that does not give you permission to take that on to me because it hurts. And so I think I've really been struggling with the pain of being hurt by your own 
you know, because I feel like it's so easy these days to say, you know, it's like, it's white men who are doing all this stuff, but then we don't have the more difficult conversations. Like what happens when you experience stuff from other women or other trans people or other people of color? Like you don't have that language to be like, what happens when you experience that from a friend, not just like a romantic partner. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what I've been writing about creatively is trying to understand those forms of pain that are actually the most tremendous, but we don't have the language for them. Like friend breakups are something I think about a lot. Like we have an entire like discourse around romantic relationship breakups, like come over, we're going to have cake, like blah, 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 blah. But like what happens when you have a friend breakup is actually even more devastating in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And we don't have any language to describe or to mourn that or to say, I'm sorry, you're going through that. And so I've started to really, I think, try to really name those kinds of pain that we don't have ceremonies for. You know, like we have funerals when someone dies, but we don't have funerals whenever you look back at your life and say, I used to be more creative. Where did that go? Like we don't, there's so many funerals that we need to be having. There's so many ceremonies we need to be having to say something happened. I hurt, I lost. And we don't have the language for that. And so I think also part of the struggle is how do you, how do you heal when you can't even have the words to describe what the pain is? How do you mourn when you don't even know what you've lost? How do you scream when you don't even remember how? Like that, those are the kinds of struggles I'm trying to really parse out in my life is like, I don't know. And that's where it hurts. On the the vocabulary and the language thing, that was actually a question that I wanted to ask you was, where did you get your emotional vocabulary? Like you make things so profound and easy to understand and make sense. I could imagine maybe it was having a really difficult time explaining yourself. So you had to make it super crisp and clear, but I would love to hear more about where you get your emotional vocabulary and where people can actually help to improve theirs as well. Right. You know, one of the things that I learned in my life, I started doing these workshops called feelings workshops across Mm -hmm. the world where about two or three years ago, where I began to realize like, our education system doesn't teach us how to process jealousy. (laughs) And these are actually the things that are most instrumental to building a just world is how to hold fear and jealousy and love. And so I, I experienced the death of a loved one in my life. And I realized I didn't know how to process that. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you just like go on to the next day being like, wow, this person who I used to call all the time is gone. And people would say sending love and light. And you just feel so mad because you'd be like, um, what? Like, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. And so I started to realize, like, I want to learn and I want to teach how to process emotions. I think that is some of the most profound and powerful and substantive work in the world. And through doing these feelings workshops over the past few years, what we basically do is we take about 30 people, mostly strangers. And the only rule of feelings is you can't legitimize what you're feeling. So you just have to say, this is what I'm feeling. You can't say I'm feeling this because, or I'm feeling like to try to justify or backend or give a caption. And if you do that, we just say pineapple and then we step back and you're allowed to continue. But we say, we know what you're doing. You're trying to rationalize your feelings to make them just. Because one of the things I learned through feelings is that when we want to scream and we don't, that scream still goes somewhere. It just goes internal and it becomes self-hatred. That actually you need to express the full course of the emotion Otherwise, it sticks in you. And so sometimes the emotions that we're experiencing are not what we actually feel and not what we're actually going to do and not actually what we think, but they need to be articulated. And often they need to be expressed in front of other people who can bear witness to that emotion and say, what you're feeling, I totally get it. And then that gives you a sense of closure. So one of the things I learned from Feelings Workshops is that actually most of the things in the world are incredibly simple. 
we've just created complex language to disguise what are very simple things like, I'm afraid of dying alone, or I miss my mom, or I'm jealous that you have the life that I wanted. And because we have this idea that maturity equals repressing your emotions, we found all of these like Olympian kind of gymnastic routines to say like, you're problematic because X, Y, Z, logic, whatever. When actually what you're trying to say is I'm hurt by you. And so what I really tried to do in my life is realize that actually really complex things are actually quite simple if we really go down to the core. And I think that's what I learned through being an artist is I would write a poem and I would say, what am I trying to communicate? What is the core message or the core emotion that I'm trying to communicate? All the things around it are important, but they're not at the core essence. And so I started to distill what is the core essence of this poem? What is the core essence of the show? What is the emotion that I want people to have? And I bring that into all realms of my life where I receive so many words and I'm like, okay, what are you really saying there? You know? But I think it's part of a bigger thing where like skills that have to do with emotions, skills that have to do with art, skills that have to do with language are never elevated to the realm of real work or like legitimate or like professional because they're not associated with men. And I think that this is something I really try to think through is like things that we dismiss as excessive or superfluous or too much are often often some of the most profound things in the world. And so much of what my life for is an argument for magic, an argument for art, and an argument for femininity, which are three things that we've been taught to dismiss as weak or not substantive or not forms of knowledge. But what I've learned in my life is that art has literally taught me how to relate to everyone else in the world. Why are we not teaching art to everyone? (laughs) Like, why are we told that like, these are the artists and they have these magical skills? No, they don't. We all have these skills if they're nurtured by other people. Creativity is something we all have, you know? And so I think like a long-winded way to answer your question is I think that through my art practice, I've learned that actually nothing is as complex as it seems. And that when you really capture the, the internal core of what you're trying to say, that's how true meaningful intimacy is created. Mm. What you said about, you know, everyone is an artist. I think like too, even to kind of spread that idea across what you've been talking about, it's like everyone is capable of being expressive in the way that you found, you know, your expression and like emotives, you know, and everyone is capable of anything, of being intuitive, of like, it's just like all inside. It's very just interesting how like, and Kristen and I were talking about this um, earlier where it's like, you know, we're born this like pure being. And then like, we're just like wrapped up in all of these things and ideas like, and perceptions and whatever. And then, you know, then we kind of have to like, just pull the thread and go back to that just really pure idea of like, we were all born pure little babies. Speaking of like ideas and, and, and titles placed on things that should probably not have titles placed on them, but the idea of gender and like, you know, gender binary and how early on were you aware that, you know, that was not something that you identified with? Sure. So I'd like to say that I was um, falsely assigned male when actually I should have been assigned queen. 
Because from a young age, I literally (laughs) used to wear all of my sister and my mom's clothing and perform for my local Indian community to the latest Bollywood hits. I would do a drag slash belly dance fusion where I just had no shame (laughs) whatsoever. I would just literally be running around, like screaming, like dancing. And I was totally free. And I only began to experience shame or even understand that that was gendered. And gender and shame were always linked for me because they were about other people projecting onto me saying, that's not right. This is what you should be doing. When I started to go to school, like my mm. family never mobilized that to me. And I think that is, that is why I'm able to do the work that I am able to do today because I had that initial validation from the people closest to me to be like, okay, do you, you know? Wow. But then I went to school and very much it was like, you're a boy, you should be doing this. Like, uh, don't dance. Like I remember when I was younger, I wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I'm doing all those things now, so whatever. But for a long part of my life, there was like a blank slate where I was like not allowing myself to do any of that stuff. But I only developed the vocabulary to describe what I was and what I was going through much later in my life. And that's the issue is that we don't equip young people with actual, real, comprehensive education about what gender, sexuality, and sex are. And so I always just thought I was gay because that's the only word I had that was available to me. So from a young age, I started to understand myself as gay. And I was like, okay, I can't be gay in the small town because I will die. So I'm going to work as hard as possible in school so I can get into the best colleges out of here where I can express myself in the future. I was really naive and I thought that all of the Bay Area was like San Francisco, like LGBT pride, et cetera. So I was like, I'm moving to California. And I moved to California and I joined my first sort of gay organizations and I realized like, this is not me either. Like what, what's going on? And then actually it was like really through reading history that I began to realize who I was because I, I learned that there have always been people outside the gender binary, especially where I'm from in India, and that we actually were once celebrated as holy and mystical. But one of the things that happened is the way that you dominate a people is you criminalize and kill their healers so the people don't even know that they're sick. And so we were the first people targeted often when colonization happened because they knew our power, right? And this is something that I always tell people, the right wing knows queer power more than progressives do. That's why they're passing hundreds of pieces of legislation trying to disappear us from the public. They know that when people are exposed to our power, our brilliance and our beauty, that is what true freedom would look like. But they teach us to fear the very things that have the potential to set us free. And I know that because I feared my own gender nonconformity. I thought deeply, I remember I had a conversation with a friend when I really started to dawn on me, like, oh my God, I'm not a boy or a girl. Like what? I had a conversation with a friend and I said, I'm scared. I'm scared about what, what this means for my life. I'm scared about the violence I'm going to experience. I'm scared because I don't know what I am, but I'm going to run into the ember. And that's really so much of what my life has been since then. It's like, the things that we fear are often the things that we need to run into and confront. We can't just repress, 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 repress. Because people tell me all the time, like, Alok, you would live such a happier life if you just chose one or if you just looked gender conforming. You wouldn't get harassed. And I said, that's because your understanding of mental health means that you just think that physical well-being is about physical safety. For me, happiness, joy, and oneness with who I am matters more to me than my physical safety, which means every single day, even though I do experience harassment on the basis I look like, I can look down at my harassers and say, which one of us is really oppressed here? 
because you don't know who you are and I know very solidly who I am. And I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to introspect and figure out who I am. And I'm sorry that you've not had people in your life to encourage you in your journey. Best of luck. And so even though I experience so much harassment and violence now, I'm doing great because I genuinely know that I've done the miracle work of self-discovery when you were talking before about unwrapping all the stuff that's been put on us. I did that. And I, I realized that underneath it all, I'm far too complex to ever be encapsulated by gender. Like that's so boring to me, taking billions of people and dividing them into one or two categories, telling them that like they have to follow a set prescriptions of bad fashion, bad emotional advice, putting them oppositional to each other, and then literally grouping them with like, it's, it's wild. It's such a berserk system. <laughs> Holy crap. You're killing it. You're fucking killing it, by the way. I also, I just like had this, like, when you said that in your culture, like the, you know, I, know, I want to talk about the Indian cultures. Like, I just, I feel like you are so, like, I just feel like you are a human on this earth at this time, at this place that is like, I don't know. I just feel very privileged to be talking to you oh, right now. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I, say, I really but. had to sit and think with that where I started to realize, you know what? I have medicine for people. Yeah. And, and in this iteration of the world, I have to call it poetry. I have to call it performance art. I have to call it like, follow me on Instagram. Like I have to convince <laughs> people that they are sick. And I have to say, what I have to say is your medicine. And I have to tell people over and over again, it's going to hurt. Like healing hurts. I've seen it in myself. I have a line in one of my poems where I say, when I look at myself in the mirror and see what I've become, I cannot tell if I'm celebrating or mourning. And that for me, that sense of like destruction and creation are simultaneous is so central to how I understand the world is that healing is painful. Pain is healing. Mm. These are false dichotomies that we constantly live our lives saying, I don't want to hurt. And so we just play business as usual. And then we're, we're actually end up hurting. Like that's the irony is that I look at the majority of people in the world and I'm saying, you've never done self-work. Like you genuinely don't know who you are or what you feel. And you think that you're happy, but everything is so desperate and ephemeral where you're going to literally buy a new pair of shoes, feel happy for five days. I mean, I love buying new pairs of shoes. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to fight for is endurant happiness. I'm trying to fight for happiness that's not just about a moment or a transaction and a way of being where no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what the violence I'm experiencing in my life, I look at myself and I say, you better, you know? And I've got there. <laughs> I genuinely feel like I, I've got mm. so far. I mean, obviously we're all works in progress and obviously there's so many things I have to do, but like, I think that the reason I'm so passionate about my message is I've seen what it's done for my own life to be able to reconsider everything that we've been taught. And now when people present a new thing that I didn't know, my reaction is not to clench up and be like, you're wrong. My reaction is to be like, wow, thank you so much for teaching me something about our complex world. I'd love to learn more. You know, like I just have such a different relationship with like difference. Because I think ultimately the reason that I experience violence is because when people see someone like me, they don't know what to think. And then rather than asking, hi, like, can you teach me? They clench up and they try mm. to destroy it. And that's, that's the psychology of fascism, which is when we're presented with something that is an alternative way of living, we must destroy it, not live and coexist with it. And I think that what I'm really asking, people mistake what I'm saying to be like, I want everyone to be non-binary. I want every... No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, can you coexist with someone like me in your universe? I don't think so. 
the current universe means that in order for people to say I'm a man or a woman, they have to mean I'm a man means I'm not a woman and I'm a woman means I'm not a man. And as long as you believe in those oppositionalities, I can exist because in my body and in my heart, man and woman are synonymous. And in my body and in my heart, masculinity and femininity are hanging out together. And so in order for you to have that paradigm, I can't be here. Mm. What, so we talk about self-discovery and sort of what you've done to, to learn more about yourself and to really um, accept who you are. What has that journey looked like and what books, resources, people, how have you, what have you leveraged to really do that? Sure thing. So I really believe that self-actualization has to happen with other people. I think that like what frustrates me about the conversation about self-care is that it feels like really like individualistic. Like if you just take the best Instagram selfie, you're going to love yourself 30 times harder. Or if you have the right face mask, you're going to have 10 times less self-hatred. Like I think that actually for me, wellness comes from having other people bear witness to your pain and giving you permission to heal. That's how I got better. After I graduated from college, I knew that I had missing in my life other trans people, and especially other trans and gender non people of color. And I knew that if I moved back to, the, to Texas, I wouldn't find them. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to move to New York. And I was very clear, I'm going to move to New York to meet people like me. And I spent my first years in New York meeting those people. And through them, I found myself. Like we need to find our own people to be able to find ourselves. I really believe in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a story as old as queer people is that our families kind of weren't the best for us. And so we had to build our own families. And the types of friendships and love that we build with the people that we choose as our families are unparalleled. Like I often joke, I have access to what all the straight cis people want when they want marriage. They want security. They want intimacy. They want trust. They want romance. I have all of that in my friendships. And that fundamentally destabilizes everything because straight cis people are taught you have to wait to get that when you find the one. What if you could have 10 ones? And what if those people are actually in your life right now? You're just literally saying this kind of love is not as real as this aspiration. But I think that's another exercise that I've learned in my life, which is when you begin to do self-work, you begin to recognize that the things that society dismisses as illegitimate or not real are perhaps the most real things. And I think for me, my healing came from my friendships because I actually developed friendships with people who cared about me, not my ability to inspire or my ability to be used. And when they cared about me, it meant that they were there for me when I was sick. They were there for me when I was traumatized. And they were there for me when I was celebratory. They were there for me when I was successful. And I think that we were teaching each other how to love because our parents didn't do that. We were teaching each other how to trust because our schools didn't do that. And I think through having close friendships with other trans people, I really began to realize like, oh, wait, like I'm cool. Like I'm good. And I really feel like we talk a lot about hurt people, hurting people, but we don't talk about healed people, healing people. And I met people in my life who had done self-work and who saw me and were like, you have a lot of stuff to do and really took me under their wing and mentored me. And that's something that was so beautiful. And what I really try to do in my own art practice now is one of my favorite things about being a touring artist is all across the world, I get to collaborate with other trans artists. And I'm very intentional about this, where I try to make sure every single show that I have 
I try to curate another trans person to work with me. And I don't just work with them on the stage. We get coffee together. We're hanging out. We're talking about our practices. And I'm trying to like actually share everything that I've learned with other people. That's central to why I'm an artist is I feel like I've learned all these things from whatever reasons, school, books, friends, whatever. And I don't want to be the only one knowing them. Like I want everyone to know everything that I know. When I encounter a new idea, Mm. I run and I tell everyone. I remember when I was younger in Texas, knowledge was a way of having mobility when I couldn't have physical mobility. I was trapped in a small town where no one looked like me. And so my head had to become the space that I went to travel galaxies. And I remember I would just in the middle of the night watch like Nova documentaries online about like the universe or like black holes. And I remember just being like, whoa, like that's always been part of my creative practice is like, I have so many questions and I run to them rather than running away from them. And that's why, that's where I think healing comes from is ask yourself, what are the questions that you are really seeking answers for? And then become comfortable that the answers might be other questions. And that's what healing is. When you're comfortable that the life's most existential questions will just be answered with another series of questions. And you can smile at all those questions and be like, I don't know who I am. And that's a joyous thing. What have you learned from other people in the trans community um, that has made like a, a really big impact on you? One of the things that trans community, especially, I mean, when I first moved to New York, I, I got the opportunity to politically organize with a lot of elder trans women of color. These were folks who were at the Stonewall riots in 1969. They knew people like Sylvia Vera, Marsha P. Johnson. They've been organizing and working for trans liberation for 30, 40 years. And one of the things they used to tell me is like, it used to be so unsafe for us that we'd put bricks in our purses because if we would ever say this person's attacking me, no one would believe us. So we had to defend ourselves. And they talked about how in New York City where it used to be legal to wear more than two articles of clothing that were different than what your assigned sex was. So they would constantly be thrown into prison just for simply walking down the street. It was seen as a crime to be visibly gender nonconforming in public. But then they would say... I would dust off my heels and I would go right back outside and do it again. And what that taught me is dignity. You can only experience the full severity of prejudice if you believe in the person who is being prejudiced to you. But what I think the trans tradition has taught me is the very people who are hating you are people who don't even see your humanity. So why does it matter that they hate you? (laughs) And so now I've really learned how to literally coexist with knowing Mm. there are a lot of people in the world who don't like me a lot of people in the world who want me to die, a lot of people in the world who call me ugly. I don't care because I know who I am and I have my own dignity. And that sense of dusting off your heels and going back and bouncing back is so central to me, is how do I preserve my dignity? I may not have safety. I may not have infrastructure. I may not have vocabulary. I may not have all these things that I want and deserve to have, but what I have is something that they do not have, which is dignity. And that's why I ask my audiences across the world, are you living a dignified life knowing that people like me are dying? That's not a dignified position. And is it dignified knowing that the very people who could be teaching you how to be free are the people who are being punished right now, incarcerated right now, deported right now? That's not a dignified life. I'm not asking you to help me because I need to be helped. I'm asking you to help me because you need to be helped because there's no dignity in your life and a world where your gender project is so fragile that me existing with lipstick and a beard invalidates everything that you think the world is. Like that's pretty pathetic on you, not on me. And so I really learned from trans people that like we become 
we become repositories for everyone else's anxieties. If people were really cool with us, they could be able to look at us and be like, okay, cool. I don't want to look like you. That's cool. Want to go get a coffee? But right now, people look at us and they're like, ah, and we begin to realize they want to be us. That's the secret that I learned from trans people is that the people who bully us want to be us. The people who are most injurious to us are the people who are most injured. The people who pretend to be the most strong and confident are actually the most weak and fragile. It's actually the people that they demean as weak who are the most strong. And I think that learning from intergenerational trans people taught me like my strength comes from within. And my strength comes from the places that they think are not strong. My armor is my lipstick and my glam. Like people think that I get dressed up for them. Please. I get dressed up and I look in the mirror and I say, wow, I'm superior. And I go outside and then people harass me and I just laugh because I'm like, don't you see that I'm superior? So I've learned (laughs) how to celebrate all these things that our culture dismisses as like Mm. ridiculous. Like I really, really am a strong advocate for aesthetics as political resistance. What I mean by that is how are we supposed to create a new world if we don't know what it looks like? And so much of what I'm trying to do in my art is to show people gender nonconformity is beautiful, is transcendent, is evolving, is dynamic, is buoyant, is all of these things. I need to visualize that to people because the only representations we have of gender nonconformity is we're like the villain in Little Red Riding Hood, like, Grandma, what hairy arms you have. Like we've been taught to fear, like we're this tragic, woeful, like everyone stay away from that. The tragic, like, oh gosh, they're so ugly. And then I'm just literally looking at that. I'm like, who's ugly here, baby? Because I have dignity and I think that's more beautiful than any of these products that you're putting on your face to look more like Barbie and Ken. Mm. You are, I mean, number one, like my heart is so full. A look for president. (laughs) Okay. So I wanted to talk about the um, harassment thing, which you talked about. So being harassed, feeling unsafe, can you, I kind of want people to know like a little bit what that's like so they can understand more about it. So can you shed a little bit of light into that? Absolutely. Um, It's really important to understand that people like me who are gender nonconforming cannot leave our houses and almost every single country in the world without fear of being bashed. That's the level that we're at, that we literally are told by the mainstream media that we are just snowflakes we're just having feelings and we're not real. And then concurrently are experiencing the highest rates of physical, sexual, and economic violence than ever before. Violence against gender nonconforming people has escalated in the past few years. We have higher rates of murder. And the issue is that when we're murdered, we're misgendered when we die. So we don't actually have the data to even describe what murder looks like against us because people will look at the dead body and say, that's a man or that's a woman without actually saying the reason that that person was attacked is because society was perceiving them as gender nonconforming. So for me, when I walk down the street in New York City, which is allegedly one of the most progressive LGBT friendly cities in the world, I'm routinely spat on, I'm laughed at, I have people take photos of me without my consent, they post these photos online saying, what the fuck is that? This is disgusting. I have people push me, I have people try to push me in front of trains, I have people throw trash at me, I have people grope me, I have people of all genders sexually assault me. I'm often stalked, I often have people Um, following me for blocks, I have to really be prepared that anything could escalate at any moment. That's just in person. 
When I post a photo of myself online, it often gets shared to conservative and feminist groups. That's really important to name. Where I'm told that I am a man masquerading as something that I'm not, that I deserve to die, that Hitler should have won, that I should have been burned, that I have a disorder, that I'm disgraced, that I should be punished, that I should be murdered, that I should be raped. This is just simply for taking a selfie of myself. And this is the daily reality, right? Like this doesn't just happen once. This happens every single day. And when I speak about this, people are often shocked. But then I'm like, I want you to ask yourself, the reason there are not more people who look like me is not because we're a minority. It's because it's so scary to actually Mm. exist as a gender non-conforming person that people have to make choices every single day. You have cis women who make choices to shave because they know that if they walk outside with hairy legs, there's going to be a different degree of harassment. You make cis men have to say, I'm not going to put on any makeup. I'm not going to wear a dress today. That wearing a dress and putting on makeup has nothing to do with people's gender identity. People could still be men or women and be gender nonconforming, but they're choosing not to be because they know what kind of judgment and violence is going to happen because of that. And so I think that it's really important whenever I speak about harassment or gender nonconforming people to say, like, we're in a state of emergency. And that especially under this administration, it's worse than ever. And it's very scary out here. But I think that what I really remind myself every time I'm walking down the street and I'm getting harassed is I remind myself I am part of a legacy. It might feel like I'm doing this alone. I might feel like I'm the only one experiencing this. But across time, there have been people who went outside and said, confront it, confront your self-hatred, confront your isolation, confront your fear. This is not about me. It's about you. So as long as I exist on this earth, I will hold a mirror to the world. And I will say, why are you so agitated by my freedom? Like, this is not actually about me being wrong or deviant or having a disorder. This is about you being wrong and deviant and having a disorder because you actually don't know who you are. If you really knew who you were, you would be able to see me and just move on. Mm. Mm. I, I think about, you know, kids who are still, you know, in those small towns and grew up like you did. Have you met or been, you know, contacted by those, those younger generations? And um, if so, like, what is what is kind of the general, you know, pain and the dialogue going on? And what do you think like we can do? You know, like I just, I I can imagine, and I don't know the stats, so forgive me, but like that the suicide rate is. Right. It's extreme. Extreme. So like, what is like your hope? Yeah. I mean, part of what's been amazing about my job and my life is I get to connect with people like me all across the world of all ages. And I get to also connect with really rad parents who like take their kids to my events or my shows and be like, I don't really know what I'm doing, (laughs) but Mm. I'm here. And those moments are so, I love those moments more than anything where I have people come to my shows, like core and families. I'm like, wow, you're really, (laughs) you're really trying to do something different. People are experiencing a lot a lot of harassment. Just in Oklahoma, a few weeks ago, there was a 12-year-old who used a restroom consistent with the gender that she identified as. And parents found out about this and started to send murder threats to this 12-year-old child. So they had to cancel school for two days. And now this family of this child is having to flee to a different state, right? This is not, this is affecting people of all ages. And it's really scary out there. 
And this is having, of course, significant ramifications for mental health. Rates of suicide are on the rise. Rumor had it, and community sort of dialogue had it, that after Trump was elected, close to 10 young trans people committed suicide. And these are the decisions that a lot of people are having to make as we keep on electing these explicitly anti-trans, not anti-LGBT. And that's a really important note to make. The current administration is explicitly anti-trans, has disappeared transgender from the CDC, has banned trans people from armed services, has passed consistently legislation that will allow people to discriminate on the basis of religious preference. Who are the people most likely to be discriminated against are trans and gender concurring people because we don't need our partners present for people to know that we're queer. We enter in the room and people say, I don't like that. We're the most visible on the streets and the most invisible in LGBT organizations and conversations and media campaigns. So what I say that we can do to change it, because it's not all bleak, I mean, there's amazing resistance happening, is that at every single level, we need to challenge gendering arbitrary things. So, for example, when we say, oh, you cut your hair, you look so masculine today. Like, what? (laughs) Or when we ask our cousin, is that a boy or a girl you're having? Like, what? Why can't we ask, is your child healthy? Like, hello. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's so many other questions to be asking. That the root of this violence is that we have to constantly gender every single thing and make them oppositional. So masculinity has to be something separate than femininity. Second is to encourage ourselves and other people to be fluid and experimental. The thing is, is that actually we're constantly changing and evolving like we talked about. The current moment is that we have to say, what do you identify as? As if that's what you have to be your entire life and that's your internal truth. People change when we meet new people and encounter new ideas and that's fine. So if people in your life are starting to actually move one other way, say, that's awesome. Congratulate them. Say, that's really cool that you're working on that. Is there anything I can do to help you figure yourself out? Like To create a different culture around experimentation where we don't shame people for being like, I don't really know. Like Some of my favorite moments are when people come to my shows and they say, like, this is the first time I'm wearing a dress or this is the first time I'm wearing a chest binder. I'm trying Aww. it out. I'm like, awesome, cool, try it out. Create more spaces where people can really try it out. I, I do shows sometimes where we just have makeup and dresses at the venue And then anyone who's there could just try it on for the first time. And don't shame people to be like, oh, is that your Halloween costume? Or, oh, are you playing pretend? Or are you dressing up? We constantly dismiss people's legitimate figuring it out as just like a ploy or a trap or like trying to be something else. I think the third thing is to really fund and resource trans and gender nonconforming activists, artists, and organizations. What's important to understand is that after marriage equality was realized in the United States, the majority of LGBT, or shall I say LGB donors, stopped donating to LGBT organizations. And now LGBT organizations are ill-equipped to actually confront the widespread wave of transphobic anti-trans legislations because there's no funding for them. And a lot of the funding priorities move to funding globally because people say, oh, we got success in the US, we're progressive here. So what's important to understand is that with little to no resources, we're facing what is statistically one of the worst moments in history to be trans. So one of the things that we can really do is to invest our time, resources, and energy for local organizations that are working on behalf of trans people. And it's important to specify and ask the organizations we support, are you working for trans people? Because many LGBT organizations are just actually working for cis gay people. This doesn't have to look like money. It looks like every single winter, I donate a bunch of my clothes to the local LGBT homeless shelter. It looks like wherever I am, I try to figure out like, okay, are there some volunteer hours that I can put in just to like do something here? That we all have a way to give back to the community and no matter how 
successful or safe we may, may be in our life, we have to remember that there are people who don't have access to the things that we have. And we should be measured less by our successes and more by how we give back. Mm. So love yeah, you're you're <laughs> fucking you're gonna take over the world, honestly. <laughs> yeah, in a good way, honey. Okay, what are you excited about? What what's like what's like really good? Like we talked about what's what's yeah. hard. What's really good? Okay, I'm just gonna be real. My Instagram over the next two weeks is gonna be popping because I Fuck have yes. gotten these photos back from a lot of photo shoots that I did over the uh, summer. And I'm just really excited because I really did that. Like I look at these photos and I'm like, wow, like I she doesn't have a modeling contract. But literally, they are such a model. I'm just like, hashtag book me. New York Fashion Week is coming on. Hashtag book me. You have the best circle. Right here. The best Instagram circle of anyone in the world. You You have the number one Instagram circle. Thank you. With your little profile, number one. Thank you. So I'm just letting people know that I have some amazing looks coming up. So prepare yourself. There's going to be the forecast reads extreme and incredible fabulosity and superiority. Get into it. (laughs) Um, What else I'm excited about? I'm really trying to create more time to write this year. I've been doing a lot of touring and traveling, which feels awesome. But I feel like I really need to go back into my heart and pull out some stuff. So get ready because I'm really working on a lot of the things we've talked about. I really want to create poems about to create the vocabulary for the kinds of encounters we find ourselves in and cannot mourn or grieve or celebrate. Like, I think that is the job of an artist is to give the image or give the word for people to actually understand what they're going through in their lives. And I feel like I really want to write. I just am feeling this deep passion to really create, especially amidst so much destruction, to really create beauty, mm. beauty. And sometimes beauty is painful, but to really put that beauty out there. I mean... You know, I'm going to probably be coming to a city near you sometime soon. Like, I always say, like, I'm not going to travel. But then I'm like, wow. I know. That always happens to us, too. We're like, we need grounding. And then we're like, but but this thing. What's next? You know, I hold multitudes. I can relax on a plane, you know? So it's like, whatever. I can make it work out. I'm just really, I'm feeling, like, really confident about what I'm doing and who I am. And I want to bring that to as many people as possible. And so I'm just always trying to get new opportunities that allow me to get my word out there, which is what saying thank you so much for using your platform to feature me as well when i got the invitation i was like i'm still under 30 thank you so much <laughs> for a little a little while longer i just turned 27 i'm about to enter my saturn return wow. i'm extremely scared honey i think you've already done 100 saturn returns like, I, mean, I, don't I don't know, know. i don't know what your... the is gonna throw I'm at me i'm like scared your it's soul like, is like the fact that you nine. haven't been through a saturn return yet what? Like, what really else could scared. you learn? No. I don't know, but like something is going to happen. I feel, I feel it on my bones. I'm like, okay, the world has already offered me so much. Like, come on. But I think mm. something's really going to come in. Na- so I guess we have something, we have that to look forward to is Alok negotiating their Saturn return. What's going to happen? Yes. There's probably going to be a lot of emotional Facebook statuses. Prepare yourself. Yes. Get your Kleenex ready. That was not a sponsored post by Kleenex, but I wish it was. So hashtag <laughs> Kleenex. Contact me. I should we be show your emotions. Together. Hashtag show your emotions oh, at Kleenex. Thank you. Imagine Honey. a collaborative project between me and Kleenex about getting people across the world to cry in public. What if I just like, I went up to people on the street? I yes. said, you still miss your dead dog. And then they cry. <laughs> I'm like, Kleenex, here. Or like it would be like you like doing your thing and like the harassment, it's like confronting the harasser and like getting real about right. like what I it like. I love that. Like what's really, really... I mean, one of the things I've been really posting and being more honest about is like, I feel some sort of way 
that all of these brands are not reaching out to gender non-conforming people because we are the original advertisers. Everyone's already looking at us on the street. So you think they won't look at what we're wearing too? Hello? And oh, so this is my also my year setting my intentions. New York Fashion Week coming up. All the Love. people up. Like invest in us. And invest. In representation that will make people uncomfortable. That like, is such a motherfucking opportunity. And it's like... Dress. What? It's not, that's the that's truest such thing a I've ever opportunity. heard. Right. What do you do? Like, I guess last thing for clothes, like what are your favorite brands based on that? Because you know, right. like I, you haven't, have you seen any that really support you? So what brands so do you go to? That I always want to uplift and support. Um, uh-huh. in terms of clothing, I tend to find a lot of my stuff secondhand or I design it myself. And that's often because most mainstream fashion companies just are so binary in their sizing that it's so hard to find things that fit me right. So I'm always just trying to find like a collage of things to make it work for me. But some brands that have really, I've been really uplifting and really celebrating are my friends at Ciro Shoes. That's S-Y-R-O Shoes. They make gender neutral heels, which I love because I always felt like Cinderella being like, why is the shoe too small? But now I finally have heels that are literally big enough for my big foot over here. It's amazing. I'm saying I need Taylor Swift to do something usable with her career and to make a tweet that says size 14 shoes for the drag queens. Like give back to the world, Taylor Swift. Okay. (laughs) Then the second company. She would never. (laughs) F-L-U-I-D-E. Fluid is an amazing Mm. gender neutral makeup company that is actually featuring gender non-computer beauty and models in all their lipsticks, all of their campaigns. I think that's so powerful to say that anyone can use makeup regardless of your gender. And then another one that I always want to say is shout out to the Fluid Project, P-H-L-U-I-D. The Fluid Project is the first ever gender neutral store with a physical location in New York City. And what ends up happening is these brands get started and then people don't support them and they have to go. And then people think that this is not a viable market. But what I'm trying to get people to realize is gender free. I don't call it gender neutral. It's gender free. Fashion and beauty is for all people. It's not just for non-binary people. Like all of us have struggled to find clothing that fits our body types. We deserve to have clothing and beauty and accessories that are actually celebrating beauty and not just gender. Mm. Wow. Preach, honey. Well, thank you so much. I just like you radiate Mm -hmm. so much like just physical beauty and also your energy and like that because you are just so comfortable with yourself. It's just like such, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I'm just like blown away. So thank you so much. Thank um, you so much for having me. I know me. it's a lot of pressure, but there's no more, there's no better person than you are so educated and so enlightened. And I cannot believe you're going through your set of return. <laughs> really it's scared. like you've done a hundred. Call us. Honey. Wow, we maybe scared of what? To... Scared of we're what? Gonna... You literally are scared to leave your house. Like, honey, <laughs> you can do a hundred really set of returns. In like two and a half years, right? Right when it's over, I'll just let you know how it goes because like, who knows? I could literally look back to this podcast and be like, remember when you thought that you were strong and powerful? Lies! (laughs) Fake news, my self-empowerment, everyone. That was a joke. Like that was like, no, I don't know. But you know, here's the thing. I will close on this one. I'm always about a good close. What I've learned in the world is that we constantly try to control the things that are external to us, but we can't control them. What we can control is the things internal to us. Crisis is inevitable, but the way that we respond to crisis is not. And what I'm trying to change in my life is like, okay, Saturn turn, bring it on, baby, because I am ready. I have prepared myself. I have my emotional bunker down. I have my friends down. I know what I'm allergic to. I know what I'm into. Bring it on. And I am going to meet you with my seven inch purely functional 
platform heels, an amazing superior outfit, 17 prints that you didn't think went together, 17 genders you didn't think went together, smiling and ask you for a selfie. Thank you. Oh, honey. <laughs> you got a standing O, baby. Oh. Thank you so much. I'm all about a Love good you. ending. Oh my God. I thought you were going to say seven and a half inch dick. <laughs> I you was know, like, we can dream, but we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you, thank so, you so much. So, so thank much. you. Where can people connect with you? Yeah. Um, okay. I think the best place because I'm addicted to social media is I social know. media. So follow me on Instagram at, at A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. And you can follow me on Facebook too, but like that's not a spot. So just follow yeah. me on Instagram. Yeah. Okay, we got cool. you. You're the best. Thank you so much, Alok. Thank we you. Love you. Have we a love great you. day. You Have too. a good one. Bye, honey. Bye. Alok. <laughs> so nice. So Cannot so we wait to meet them in person. I know. You know, I, I kind of took like a pause when we were talking about the non-gender pronouns. And it's something that I give gender to a lot of things, like whether it's objects or professions or people. So it really did give me pause. I kind of encourage people to think about that a little bit more. One of Alok's Instagram posts kind of just touched me, but Mm. it says gender nonconforming people are the most visible on the streets and the most invisible on the covers. Fashion has and continues to be one of the only creative outlets we have had because our physical mobility was restricted. You can't go outside at this time, can't walk alone here, etc. Our creativity, mobility, and imagination soared. This is partially why so much aesthetic genius has come from gender nonconforming people. The world we inhabit is so dangerous that we imagine another one you know yeah so dangerous that you imagine another one wow yeah thinking about if you've had to f- if you felt unsafe mm-hmm. you know there's there's are actually you know there are people that do quite often for different reasons religious mm-hmm. whatever but gender non-conforming people feel unsafe quite often mm-hmm. thank you alok we love you we love you thank you guys so much All right. Beautiful review before we get out of here. Uh, Fun, relatable as fuck and educational five stars from Aloha from Molly. Aloha, sister. Aloha, sister. I have been listening to the Almost 30 podcast for about a year now. Apologies for not writing a review sooner and absolutely love it. The conversational tone is comforting as are the topics, even when you gals are talking about the sponsors. I know it's real and I always listen from start to finish. The guests are both credible and interesting. I am totally into the current health and wellness craze. So naturally, this is a super fitting podcast for me. It's exciting to hear from the big shots who started brands I love and look up to. I have recommended this podcast to many friends. Often when they come to me with some type of conflict or issue they're having, the first thing I think of is an episode from Almost 30. Instead of getting myself tangled between re-explaining what was said on an episode or giving my own unsolicited advice, I turn to Krista and Lindsay to do the job for me. Thank you, Lindsay and Krista, for giving me an awesome and welcoming outlet to learn, stay inspired, and keep on sharing. Sending my love, XO. Thank you. Aloha. Mm. Love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for being so open and honest with us along the way and for watching us learn as we do. We will see you next time. We love you. Bye. Bye.